This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Mons Carlson Sweeney, who is the head of ESG research at Osbill Investment Management. G'day, Mons. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Alan. Thank you. Now, uh, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Um, uh, what does it mean to be the head of ESG research in an investment management business? What do you What do you actually research? Yeah, I think ESG integration means different things to different people. For me and for Osbill, it comes down to two things. One is better informed investment decisions because you you're looking at company from, companies from a different lens. And you're taking into account a wider range of different factors when you when you value companies. And the second thing to me is active ownership or engagement on ESG issues. Because as a, as a shareholder, you have a role to play in terms of influencing companies and making sure the companies you invest in are resilient. So is one of your jobs to uh, prepare a screen for the investors, investment managers at Ausbill that, you know, here's, here's, here are the companies you should not invest in. Is that what you, is that what you do? I think screening is a bit of a thing of the past. Uh, I mean, if you look at responsible investments or East integration, it started out as ethical investment, which is where investors simply screened out companies they didn't like from, a, from an ethical perspective, and they're quite happy to forfeit returns. If you fast forward to today, ESG integration is more about making sure you, you make better informed investment decisions by taking more factors into account. And ultimately, you want to achieve higher returns. That's why you do it. So are you saying, because, I mean, it was interesting, you said that, um, you know, in the past, when you screened out those ethical companies, you uh, forfeited returns. Is that is that not so anymore? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of academic studies out there um, showing the opposite, Um there's, there's studies showing that if you if you if you invest in companies moving from lower ranking companies to sorry lower lower ESG ratings to higher ESG ratings, you can make better 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 returns and outperformance. But also, if you invest in companies with higher ESG ratings in general, you often have lower beta, lower volatility. I mean, we we weren't part of those studies. It's hard for me to comment on the exact findings, but um, from our experience. When, when you when you invest in companies and you take ease into account, you make better informed investment decisions, and it can't be a bad thing because you're looking at more variables and different information sources. In fact, I've seen some studies that show that the ESG or companies that are uh, that are good on ESG uh, these days do better than um, the other companies. Yeah, whatever they might be. Yeah, that, that's is certainly that, is that possibly true. Yeah, that's certainly our experience, and I think. ESG integration doesn't necessarily mean investing in companies with the best ESG profiles either, because if you do that, you might end up with a portfolio of quite expensive stocks. And the Australian market isn't always deep enough in every industry to find a leader on ESG. So we think it makes a lot of sense to invest in companies that are improving on ESG, because we see ESG performance by a company as a bit of a lead indicator for operational performance. So from an alpha perspective, if you can catch companies moving moving up and, and becoming better on ESG, that, that's probably going to lead to a premium valuation over time. And the other thing we can say in terms of performance, it's very hard to strip out the exact contribution ESG makes because if you truly integrate ESG, it's part of a process. It's hard to strip out exactly what, what it does. But we have a long short fund, and we often take short positions in companies that have a poor ESG profile. So on average, about 50% of the shorts have come from or been strongly aligned with our ESG research view. So it's clear to us that ESG can definitely help you to make better informed investment decisions and, and also drive better returns. Can you give us an example of a company with a poor ESG profile? I mean, the reason I ask is because I, mean, I talk to a lot of CEOs, and I can tell you, um, every one of them says that their company is very good on ethics and social and governance and so on. No, nobody says they're bad at it. Mm. 
Um, so uh, give us <laughs> give us an example of a company that's bad at it. Yeah, I mean, without mentioning names, a couple of years ago I was trawling through social... Oh, come on, I want you to yeah. mention names. Come on. <laughs> if I say what, what, uh, a particular franchise company, we were, we were trawling through social media and um, we found anecdotes about underpaid workers. And the more the more the more I looked on social media, the more I found. And from our perspective, that that signaled to us that the underlying profitability of the franchisees was poor. Um, this particular company also had a pretty poor corporate governance profile with lots of corporate governance concerns, and it was trading at a high multiple. So we took a short position in that stock. And then when media started writing about these issues uh, quite a while afterwards, that stock tanked. So I think that's a good example of how. ESD can, can help you to drive returns. But you've got to be proactive. Well, if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're, you don't have to confirm this, but if you're talking about retail food group, you would have made a, you would have made a packet on shorting that stock. Yeah, I think a lot of investors did. Um, and, and that, but that's just one example. The other examples I can think of, um, it comes down to the business model. So if a, if a company's business model relies on underpaid workers, misinformed customers, weak regulation or environmental pollution that's not been priced in. I mean, yes, current earnings might be sustainable for a while, but they're not going to be sustainable forever. So we use ESD very much to assess a business model. And a company can say they're doing the right thing, that they're being ethical. But ultimately, if the business model is not right, it's not going to, it's not going to be sustainable forever. That's how we use it. And the other thing I would say about ESD is also it's very easy to get into a mindset that everything has to do with earnings. But I think I mean, if I look at a company, I might research 50, 60 different variables, and not each one of them will have an impact on a company's bottom line. But the way a company deals with ESG risks can be a good proxy for management quality. So let's say you have two companies. One has got a very strong corporate governance profile. The other one has got a poor corporate governance profile and poor on ESG. They might be identical in every other single way. We think the company with poor corporate governance and a poor ESG profile should trade at a discount. So in practice, when we value the stocks, we, we can apply a lower earnings multiple on the company with poor corporate governance. So that's how we can, how we can use ESG, even though it's not related to earnings per se. But anyway, I mean, you seem to be saying also that it's not just about money. You should, you should make investment decisions sometimes that are based on other things, all else being equal. I think it comes down to resilience. Like we, wanna, we want to invest in companies that are going to be there tomorrow. And today the world is full of... Um, disruption and the, and the world is changing. I think Darwinism favours companies that are adaptable. So ultimately, it, it still comes back to earnings. But I think, um, yeah, like consumer preferences are changing. The, the, the world is changing and companies need to adapt. One of the emerging uh, ESG issues, it seems to me, is plastics. Mm. Um, how does that affect your, your investment decisions? I mean, uh, uh, are you starting to steer away now from package uh, from plastic packaging companies? Are they uh, uh, screened out of ESG decisions now? I mean, we we invest mainly in Australian equities, so it's just, there's a, there's only a, a small universe of of those companies um, available. But I mean, if I look at plastics per se, it's, it's a huge issue. Um, it's been predicted that by 2025, there'll be more plastics than fish in the oceans by weight, and that's that's quite a scary thought. And in the past, of course, we've, we've been able to export our plastic waste to, to China and Southeast Asia, but that, that's going to come to a stop. So um, more and more countries are implementing those import restrictions. And, you know, for, for companies that are not adapting to change, I think that there's a reputational risk at stake, but it's also higher costs. And some companies are responding, um, and it seems that this is driven by consumers. 
And, um, you know, but let, let's not forget also when the supermarkets here in Australia tried to um, get rid of or face out plastic plastic bags, they also copped a lot of grief. So I think the consumers have a big role to play in this. The other thing that uh, I notice on your website, you've got a lot of stuff about modern slavery. Mm. Uh, and it would seem that you're quite, you personally are quite passionate about this and so is Ausbill. Tell us why and what, uh, how does that impact your investing in Australian companies? You said you're all about Australia, but um, what's that got to do with modern slavery? Yeah, modern slavery is a huge issue. Um, back in 2016, we wrote an investor statement on slavery. And I think what triggered me at the time was just the sheer prevalence of slavery. People might not know this, but there's about 40 million people living in modern slavery today. And that makes it a bigger issue today than ever before in human history. And that's quite a scary thought. And the reason why we wrote that statement was because we wanted to alert people how this is more than just an ethical issue. For us, it comes down to straight back to our investment philosophy. We believe that earnings drive share prices. We prefer companies with sustainable earnings and companies with quality management. If you look at slavery, I mean, it's an illegal activity. If a business model relies on underpaid workers or weak regulation, poor labor rights, that's one thing. But if it, if it relies on illegal activities like slavery, it's even worse. And there will be more regulation in this area. The UN Sustainable Development Goals has a goal of eradicating slavery by 2030. And for us, it, it, it's a big issue in, in, in Australian companies' supply chains, particularly in Southeast Asia. And I've got first-hand experience of, of going to these factories in, in Southeast Asia. I've been to Cambodia, Bangladesh, China, etc. in the past. And when you go there, you see a lot of things. You also see um, you see, also see what leaders can do. So what we're trying to do is to go to those countries and you never get to see the worst factories. You often get to see the best factories because of know you're coming. But you can learn what's best practice among leaders in this field in terms of responsible sourcing. You can take that knowledge with you back to Australia and you can encourage companies here to adopt what we think is best practice. And we think it's a win-win-win situation because the companies are going to be more resilient Earnings will be more resilient, which benefits us, and there's also positive spillover effects on labour rights and, 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 and workers' rights. But what's the, what's the relevance to investing in Australia? Are there companies in Australia whose business model relies on slavery? I think slavery is very prevalent in most supply chains. It, it depends on how deep you go. Uh, if you look at the electronics industry, for instance, there's huge issues in Southeast Asia, but also if you go down all the way down to the mining stage of things, if you look at garments, that's another key 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 industry where where slavery is very prevalent. Um, you know, you trace you trace cotton all the way back to uh, sorry, close all the way back to the cotton stage, for instance. There's a lot of different stages in the, in the production chain, and a lot of those stages are full of slavery. The problem is, it's very hard for companies to have full visibility over their entire supply chains. They're very complex. And I think this is the first stage to really map out your supply chain to understand where you're sourcing from. This is not just about slavery either. Like if you have a product quality issue, for instance, you want to be able to quickly um, go back in your supply chain to find find the original source. So we think the Modern Slavery Act, which passed um, the parliament last year and kicks in this year, we think that's going to be a bit of a game changer. It will force companies and investors to any organisation with $100 million in revenue or more to report on the risks of slavery in their supply chains and operations and also what they've done about it and how effective those actions have been. And we think that's going to be a, a huge driver. Well, that's a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much, Mons. Thank you. I've been talking to Mons Carlson-Sweeney, who is the head of ESG Research at Osbill Investment Management.